Hey everybody, welcome to Grub Stakers, the podcast about billionaires. This week we're doing our first posthumous episode to look at the lives of Barry and Honey Sherman, two Canadian billionaires who were mysteriously murdered in December of 2017. We're going to explore this murder mystery and all the details we know that surround it, as well as the lives of Barry Sherman, his work in the generic drug market in Canada, as well as his work defending and litigating lawsuits against anyone who might have ever crossed him. The list of suspects has been narrowed down to 10,000. All that and more coming up on Grubstakers. I think we disproportionately stop whites too much. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. I am proud to be gay. I am proud to be a Republican. You know, I went to a tough school in Queens and they used to beat up the little Jewish boys. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Hey everybody, welcome back to Grub Stakers. Uh, we got a very uh, special murder mystery episode for you today, but before we get into it, uh, Sean P. McCarthy here, joined by... Yogi Polywall. Steve Jeffries. Uh, Andy Palmer is out today. Uh, he just, he couldn't, he was still researching um, Gangs of New York from That's the previous <laughs> episode. He's been on Google... <laughs> Since we recorded the last one, trying to figure out uh, what haircut Daniel Day-Lewis had in the meme that we were discussing. May the Christian Lord guide my hand against your Roman popery. A week ago. Um, but he's out. But uh, uh, we're, It's his time of the month. <laughs> we're very excited because uh, this is the, it's a special episode in the sense that I guess we started the podcast asking, is there such a thing as a good billionaire? Mm-hmm. And we have finally found... A good billionaire, uh, and that is, of course, Barry Sherman, uh, the Canadian billionaire who was murdered in his home. <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's a, you know what, good billionaire. I mean, you know, he hasn't done anything bad since December 14th of last year, so I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> On for December him. 15th, he became a good billionaire. Uh, so, yes, Barry Sherman was, uh, you might have read this news story, if, even if you don't remember the name. Barry and Honey Sherman were uh, uh, Canadian billionaires. Uh, Forbes estimated them at their time of their death. Forbes estimated they were, uh, Barry Sherman, anyways, was worth $3.2 billion. He was a Canadian pharmaceutical billionaire. And um, last year, this, this story kind of went around the internet, and it's still ongoing. They, uh, on December 15, 2017, Barry and Honey Sherman uh, were found dead in their home. And uh, this has been kind of evolved where it started out in the idea that this was a murder-suicide, that Barry yep. killed his wife and then killed himself. Or she killed him and then killed herself. We, you know, you know murder-suicide. Ma- you can't say who did what, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, uh, not to... <laughs> Not to get too progress- anti-progressive here, but I think the <laughs> the murder-suicide is usually the man doing it. I don't know. Jeffries, what do you think? You think that in this case, when they say murder-suicide, they only mean Barry <laughs> killed Honey and then killed himself? It can't be that uh, Honey was like, fuck you, Barry, I'm tired of your shit, and then killed herself because she couldn't deal with the guilt or something? She'd been taking steroids for months so that she could <laughs> strangle him with a belt. 
Uh, Barry, bring well, bring some uh, uh, generic steroids home uh, on on your lunch break. No reason, just just trying to bulk up. <laughs> so that's why he got uh, he filed that suit to get that steroid <laughs> patent revoked, uh, you know, so you... that he could make the generics and he he killed her by throwing a car at her. Oh my God, I am a monster. Um, but yeah, so like uh. Yeah, so like they were both found, and the cause of death has been determined by two autopsies to be strangulation. Yes, and uh, they they say by the way that they were strangled, it was likely they were actually strangled by somebody, not like the the way the neck wounds were shaped, that it didn't look like they hung themselves, you know? Yeah, and also that their uh, hands had signs of uh, restraint, so that somebody right. had tied up their hands previous to them being strangled, which. Right. Um, I don't know that that uh, it's very terrifying that they were tied up before they were murdered. That means a person was like, "All right, we got them tied up. What are we doing now, boss?" And it's like, "I guess we're going to choke them to death." Yeah, I guess uh, you know. There's a uh, Barry Sherman graduated top of his class at MIT, but I guess there's some things even you can't figure out when you're a, a number one MIT graduate, namely how to not die after you've had your hands tied behind your back. And they oh. don't teach you that at MIT. That's a Harvard <laughs> skill. They, they don't teach you how to swim in, in, in MIT. <laughs> All right. Well, so we should talk um, about just kind of... The, we'll start with the timeline of the murder. Because, again, this is the murder mystery episode. You know, mm-hmm. we're like John Walsh here. We are appealing to our listeners, if you know who killed Barry Sherman, uh, you know, first of all, keep that shit to yourselves. <laughs> But if you know, you can tell us because sure, yeah. we're curious. You know, we're a publicly funded domain uh, entity, and we would like any information to help us with this court case. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, let's just kind of go through the timeline of the murder, and then we'll get into the biography of you know Barry Sherman, and to a lesser extent, Honey Sherman and his four children. But um, the timeline of the murder, like what's not in dispute, is essentially in December 2017. Um, uh, Honey Sherman, Barry's wife, wants him to put uh, the house up for sale where they lived, uh, according to the Toronto Star, near Bayview Avenue in Toronto. Um, he didn't want to move, but she did. So in December 2017, they put the house for sale at an asking price of $6.9 million. Um, now, what this does is suddenly they have real estate agents coming and going, you know, with a lockbox on the property. So, you know, real estate agents can let themselves in and open the door and open the lock and stuff. So, um, basically, uh, on Wednesday, December 13, 2017, uh, and again, this is according to the, the Star at Toronto, um, Honey, the wife, left Apotex, their company, around uh, before 5 p.m. Uh, Barry uh, left a little later. He left in the early evening, and his last known email from his Apotex account was sent between 6.30 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. Incidentally, to a Nigerian prince for a million dollars, all he had to do was give him $100,000. It was a crazy email. His, his last known email, uh, threatening a professional <laughs> MMA fighter. Was sent at 6.30 p.m. God, that'd be so terrible if your last email was like some, like, uh, uh, let me get a couple of these ab rollers and a couple of penis pills off the online web. That's your last email ever? That'd be so terrible. You've got mail. I think about that sometimes, like, if I die, like, because I, like, 
you know, every few days or most of the time, I just bomb like Facebook statuses or tweets. Oh, I did that on stage, but yes. Right, yeah. I bomb on stage too, but like, you know, that's like ephemeral. It just kind of disappears. Sure, sure. Whereas like... Ephemeral. Even. Ephemeral, yes. <laughs> it's almost like I don't know the words that I'm using and I'm hoping... no. I'm just confident enough that nobody calls me out on it. Yeah, we're not recording this for an audience of people. No, no, you're fine. Um... Uh, but so anyway, so like the internet, you know, it's just there. So, you know, sometimes you'll just like bomb a post and then you're just like, well, if I just got hit by a bus right now, a bunch of people are going to be like, oh, we didn't really lose that much. Did we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. It would suck to have your, your final post be something about, uh, you know, Jewish people are terrible and then all of a sudden you just get run over by a bus. Uh, anyways, the the point is we got off track here. But um, so Barry uh, uh, sends this last email at six thirty, saying uh, uh, the ghost of Chris Benoit will not harm me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so the and then the star says it's a business related email. But the point is we know he was alive Wednesday, December thirteenth, twenty seventeen, sometime between six thirty and eight thirty p.m. He leaves work, and then nobody hears from them. At all, Thursday, December 14. Then December 15, it's Friday morning, December 15, 2017. Uh, at 8.30, uh, the housekeeper and a person who waters the plants once a week hmm. arrives at the house for their Friday morning visits. And just for perspective, like this $6.9 million house is uh, 12,000 square feet, according to the um, uh, Toronto Star. And um, so at, at 8, so it's like a big house. And uh, uh, I'm just going to quote from the star for a second. Uh, they they busied themselves, the uh, housekeeper and the plant water, on the main and second floor for the next two hours. Both of those floors are about 3,600 square feet each. <laughs> so essentially, like, there were two murdered people in the house, and right. they spent two hours working on it. <laughs> and they didn't notice that there were two murdered people in the house. Yeah. If, there were, if there were two murdered people in my house... You would yeah. know it in less than a second. <laughs> right. <laughs> they spend two hours working in Steve's studio apartment, <laughs> not noticing the body <laughs> hanging outside of the uh When they uh, opened rafters. the door and the door hit the other side of the, <laughs> the apartment, they thought something might be wrong. Uh, yeah, that's crazy to think about. Two people could work in your you know house and you could be murdered inside of it and nobody would know. Not only did these two people get murdered, but the way they were murdered made it so that nobody could find where they were for 48 hours, which is enough time to fly anywhere in the fucking world. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, and so what kind of, we'll get into the theory is that these were like professional hitmen who carried out this murder. But but let me just get back to the timeline and then we'll kind of speculate here. So essentially, 8.30 a.m., the housekeeper and the the, uh, plant waterer come over and they uh, do their thing and then 10 30 a.m oh does it say plant waterer? it doesn't say gardener it says a person that takes care of their plants yes that what? is actually a direct quote from the toronto That's, star plant that is waterer. very bizarre the arborist was <laughs> working his magic and suddenly it's like having a guy that cleans your bathroom windows versus oh. your door you know front windows like it's like what I just imagine, like, the while he was alive, like, the plant waterer, like, tries to, like, trim the hedges, and he's like, I pay another person to do this. You are very specifically the plant waterer. No, don't water my fucking trees. Oh, you piece of shit. Yes, they are technically plants, <laughs> it, but... As a result of a lawsuit, you can only, you can only trim the hedges. You yeah. cannot water the plants. Right, right, right. 
<laughs> oh, as we'll get into, Barry Sherman, extremely litigious person. So it's like, you know, again, like we're talking about a billionaire, and this is uh, coming up on six, more than six months of this being a cold case of a right. double homicide with a billionaire. You know, so it's like, well, the guy had a lot of enemies because he had like a hundred plus lawsuits going at any one time. Yeah, they said that even at his funeral, there's people there mourning him that were in lawsuits ongoing at that time. Yeah, yeah they knew their their lawyers told them it would be a good idea <laughs> to show up at the funeral. Now, make sure you cry when the uh, 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 the service is read. Um, but so, okay, so eight thirty. Uh, housekeeper, plant water, show up. They work for two hours, nothing doing. 10.30 a.m., two real estate agents and a couple interested in purchasing the house arrive. Um, And again, just quoting from the Toronto Star here. After touring the upper floor, the agents and the clients went downstairs and walked along the corridor leading to the pool. Um, The assistant went first of the real estate agent, she walked through the doorway to the pool room and recoiled. At the other end of the room, she saw two bodies, backs to the pool, held in a sitting position by something tied around their necks. She turned and ushered the agent, the other agent, and the client's back, making an excuse saying this part of the house was off limits at the moment. You uh, know, I, I want to mention something. Real estate agents are snakes, mm. and I fucking hate that this person's like, uh, that place is closed. Like, right. still having the clients on the hook for maybe buying yeah, yeah, the place yeah. one day. You know what I mean? They were like, you know, if I say there's a murder, I'm yeah. losing out on a commission right, right, right now. Right, right, right. <laughs> can't be honest and let them know that the previous tenants were murdered here. You throw in financing? <laughs> When they see it, I'd love to see. Yeah, those clients being like, I mean, you know, if you take off a couple of million, we might be yeah. still be interested. Maybe we can handle the mortgage. <laughs> we can handle the recording tax. Now. How about the, that? The homicide detectives arrive and they're like drafting up paperwork. Right, right. right. <laughs> like, no, we're getting a great deal. We're we're, we're closing right now. Honestly, a great great deal. That <laughs> Look, if you don't sign these papers right now, we can't promise that somebody won't come back and buy this house. <laughs> I wonder if anyone has bought the house at this point. Look, they always return to the scene of the crime. <laughs> wow. Sometime to buy the property. <laughs> um, okay, so the discovery, the body is discovered around 11 a.m. Um, they, uh, The agent tells the housekeeper. The housekeeper calls 911. Um, the 911 call comes 43 minutes later, which is kind of surprising. Well, they show the rest of the house first. They, they, yeah, they, yeah. They have they 40 minutes to like... show. <laughs> they, you know, the pool area is closed, but they still got, what, 50,000 square feet right. of house? You know. And yeah, we did mention 12,000 square feet. So they arrive at 10.30 a.m., and then they're spending half an hour showing yes. the house yeah. before they find the body. Big house. Wow. Um, but so the 911's called uh, 11.43 a.m. Police are on route route. By 11.44 a.m., December 15, 2017. Um, and then the next day, uh, according to the Star, uh, officials at Apotex, the uh, pharmaceutical company that Barry Sherman founded, learned of uh, the deaths from media reports, which were published around 3.30 Friday, 3.30 p.m. on Friday. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, the uh, timeline. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. December 15 was the Friday, and then... Later on in the same day, media reports come out around 3.30 p.m. So they're either murdered, most likely the night of Wednesday, December 13. Um, and then nobody discovers their body for, until the Friday. Gosh, I am very curious. You said, like, 
the criminals always return to the scene of crime, so it might be those clients. And now I'm I'm mentally obsessed with like, who the fuck were these clients? Because like I don't think that they committed this crime, but what if they did? What if those clients wanted a better deal on that fucking house, and they're like, let's just go in and strangle these fucking people? We got our fucking meeting tomorrow, and then we'll buy it on the cheap. <laughs> the real estate agents are like, so you said you worked in a psychiatry, Doctor Lecter. <laughs> um, oh, I noticed you guys both carry piano wire from time to time. What's that all about? You really, you really think you can uh, afford this as a children's clown, <laughs> Mister Gacy? You know, I, I guess I, I really haven't looked into the uh, the finances, but you know, hey, you want to see this place? Um, all right, so uh, the bodies are discovered, and then kind of a weird thing happens in December, where police investigators they conduct their own autopsy, of course, and they start leaking to the press, you know, all on background in. Uh, December, early January, that they suspect that this is a murder-suicide, that Barry killed his wife and then killed himself. And this pisses off the family. As we mentioned, they had four children. And uh, they, uh, again, quoting from the star, the family hired top criminal lawyer Brian Greenspan, who assembled a team of uh, former homicide detectives who'd become private investigators, and then they uh, hired another um, person to do the autopsy. And then this is where we kind of get around to it, where um, the autopsy uh, that the family conducted um, determined that there were skin abrasions on the wrists based on like f- uh, crime scene photographs right. um, that indicated that they were uh, had their uh, hands tied behind their backs and then as we mentioned earlier um, they uh, uh, the the strangulation indicated that um, it was likely not the belts because there were they were they had two leather belts looped around their necks to hold them in a sitting positions back to the backs to the pool. Um, but the, the, the actual marks according to this forensic examination were that these were not the actual things that were used to strangle them. So there's, they're ruling out dual autoerotic asphyxiation death. That's what they're ruling out. <laughs> Most likely. Um, but it, so it was, yeah, uh, they yeah they were strangled with some other type of lig- ligature and the belts were then put around their necks and uh it is just interesting where um there's a lot of speculation that this was essentially as we mentioned a professional hit where like people who knew that like i mean my personal theory and again we'll get into this a little more but essentially somebody knew that they put their house for sale on December 2017, and somebody wanted them dead for X number of time, and then their house goes on sale, and they say, oh, this is an opportunity because we can kill them in their house, and they're not going to be discovered for, in this case, you know, two days. And uh, and if you try and kill someone after a move, you've got less knowledge about their house and obviously less access because there are not keys readily available right. in a lockbox. But you also mentioned, uh, Sean previous to us recording about how the videotapes were cut right. as well. So this was like another interview I heard on um, some Canadian radio thing, but basically like a guy, it was on SoundCloud, but it was originally a Canadian No, no, you're radio. fine. I just, I just yeah. love how dismissive that sounds like. Yeah. Oh yeah, some bullshit Canadian thing talking about their news up there in Canada. Like, look, if it was important, they'd be on in New York City, <laughs> but I mean, I guess they are allowed to have their news up there. I don't know. The newscaster was drinking maple syrup while eating his bacon. Are you calling our 12 Canadian Canadian listeners uh, (laughs) unimportant? I'm saying that they're not number one for a reason. 
1812 Canadian fans. <laughs> um, all right, so basically, uh, this they interviewed this guy who said um, that he used to do private security for billionaires, which mm-hmm. uh, talk about blood money. They interviewed this guy, and he was saying that like he always advised clients that had a pool, which of course, you know, in this 12,000 square foot house, they had a fucking uh, pool to have uh, security cameras near the pool because it's a dangerous spot. And, of course, uh, Barry Sherman did, and then it has been leaked that the security camera footage was been turned off for around the time of the murders. Right. So it's like there's a lot of different things that lead us to suspect that it is, like the current theory is that it was uh, multiple people carrying out a hit, and it sounds professional in that, They were uh, tied with uh, their arms behind their back with ropes or something that was later taken from the crime scene. They were strangled with something that was later taken from the crime scene. They were left with these belts that came from the house, we believe. Um, Well, so... And we believe they were killed somewhere else and moved to the pool. Yeah, and uh, the lead detective, the homicide detective, Sergeant Susan Gomes, uh, discussed how there's four terabytes worth of video footage that equates to about 2,000 hours, each terabyte being 500 hours of various footage, whether it's in the other ha- in the house or the other houses. So there's just a lot of media to look through to find out, hey, what the fuck happened here? And, I mean, the thing is, is that, like, you know, we don't really talk about this, but in the future, it'll be harder to look through video footage because the sheer size and quantities of it will be physically more demanding to do. And I think this is a perfect example of that because in the same vein of because Barry Sherman was fighting so many lawsuits, they don't have one pure motive killer. Hmm. In that same vein, like they've got so much video footage that they've got to watch so much fucking shit to even find Hmm. moderate clues. Whereas before, it'd be like, well, we got one camera. It's got two hours of footage. That'll take two hours, but two thousand hours worth of video footage. Right. That's just it's just very difficult to to consume. In many ways, his wealth was his undoing because all his security cameras were like four K. So it's just like <laughs> just terabytes and terabytes that these investigators have to. This is why go. they told Sherman to not use four K red cameras as his security cameras. There, yeah, there's drone footage going. Linked up to the the homicide the detect- security. That's, that's right, and I mean, you know, the homicide detectives are like, "Look, the, the water. It looks real. You can just <laughs> see the ripple effects. It's like just watching hours." Like, sir, we can't play this footage. Why? Well, our monitors aren't 4K. They're only 1080p. Yeah, they're on like these <laughs> these government like, computers. I mean, you can still watch it. It'll just be lower quality. They're like, no, 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 sir. No. We we need the higher quality. These government computers using, like, Windows 98 and shit. <laughs> They're like, yeah, this took six months because we just got the video to load. I mean, honestly, though... Like Has that- anyone downloaded VLC? <laughs> <laughs> but that is the real concern here. Like, that's it seems kind of frivolous, but, like, you know, the ever... Uh, a billionaire's security system is probably more advanced than what the not just Canadian PD, but, you know, any PD in this country or or abroad would be able to handle. And so I'm not surprised that this investigation has taken as long as it has to f- have zero results. Yeah. And uh, police don't have any suspects, but they did uh, see a bald man with a barcode tattoo on the back of his <laughs> neck leaving the property shortly after the murders. That's right. He was dressed as a pool boy. <laughs> <laughs> he was dressed as the water somehow. Yeah. Agent 47. You know... Uh, Square Enix, if you're listening, I would love to play that level. <laughs> can we get the 
the berry and honey Sherman, oh, Sherman household. Oh <laughs> downloadable content for uh, the next chapter Sherman of Summer Hitman. Home. Uh, the next Hitman game just opens with. Uh, Oh, wow. There is actually, like, a similar level uh, in uh, Hitman Blood Money. Great game. Uh, but so, like, um, you're, like, trying to kill, like, somebody who's, like, Real turned... quick. Jeffries, do you like hit the game series Hitman? Do you know about this? I've played one of the older ones. I think so. Sean and I might be the most uh, hardcore Hitman fans on the Roast You know, podcast. it's honestly one of my favorite video yeah, games. I, I completely agree. Um, but uh, without getting on too much of a thing, there is, like, a similar thing where, like, you have to do a hit on, like, somebody who turned government informant at their, like, mansion. And so one of the things is you can, like, dress up like the pool boy and then his, right, like, drunk right. wife will try to seduce you. <laughs> and then you... But, uh, oh, the favorite thing from that level, uh, and this shows the hyper-realism of a uh, hitman, uh, is that the FBI are staking out the property. So one of the strategies is you can bring them a box of donuts that you put um, sleep, <laughs> you you inject with like some sort of sedative, yeah, yeah. and then you leave the donuts outside the FBI watch van, and the FBI agent will just take the donuts right, and then and eat, eat them. Perfect. Because, you know, they're FBI agents. They you know, can't pe- control People themselves. knock Hitman. It's just advanced clue. That's all it really is. <laughs> hey, how did this person get murdered in this room with what object? That's the game. That's all you're doing with Hitman. Hmm. It's an amazing game. Yes, we should have mentioned that. Uh, multi- you're the one leaving the clues. I mean, you know, if you're good, you leave no clues. And that's really <laughs> a mystery. Like the murders of Barry Sherman and Honey. Yeah, we also forgot to mention that multiple candlesticks were found on the property. <laughs> um, but so anyways, uh, the uh, the point is, as of right now, this is still a cold case. It's being considered a double homicide. Uh, there's no real suspects, but it's believed multiple people came into the property, killed them, uh, and disappeared. Um, and so I guess we can just kind of get into the bio of Barry Sherman, and then we could talk a bit if we have any theories of what might have gone down here yeah that sounds great so barry sherman actually wrote his memoirs or he wrote like 47 pages of them uh while he was on a vacation in um yeah he wrote a legacy of thought is what he called it uh when he was on vacation in 1996 in tanzania uh he he wrote um 47 pages of what was to be his memoirs and it's interesting because this thing only exists because his cousins sued him which we'll get into later um, and so it was introduced into court documents. Um, and so he has a lot of interesting little quotes in there. He d- he says he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in free will. He believes, quote, life has no meaning or purpose, which, uh, hey, agree with you. Um, but uh, um, I guess we should just kind of go through. My bio research is mostly based on what he wrote about himself. So let me just kind of go through the basics here. Uh uh, in 1942, he was born in Canada, in Toronto. Uh, his grandparents fled to Canada after pogroms in both Poland and Russia. Um, his father was the president and partner in a zipper company in mm-hmm. Canada. Yep. And he died of a heart attack when Barry was 10. His mother was a occupational occupational therapist, and he did a engineer. He started an engineering science degree at the University of Toronto in 1960. And uh, then he graduated in 64, got a scholarship to MIT, had a master's in aeronautics in 65 from MIT, and a PhD in systems engineering from 1967, MIT. And uh, during his high school years and while at the university, he worked for his uncle, Louis Lloyd Winter, Mm -hmm. at his Empire Laboratories, which was how 
he was introduced to the pharmaceutical business, which Empire Laboratories was then Canada's largest wholly owned pharmaceutical company. This is a quote from Wikipedia. Right. Yeah. And so, and that's interesting because essentially part of his memoir and like, again, it's introduced by court documents. So like if you, you can look at it online, I'll link to it in the Tumblr. Um, but you can, uh, in, in court documents, there's like writing on the margins that are like not true. And this is a lie or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, cause basically in the, in the memoir, he like writes at various points about how he took over. Um, so empire laboratories, he, he writes about how it was like insolvent when he took it over when in reality, or at least his cousins claim it was doing fine. Um, but so yes, his uh, mother's younger brother, uh, Lou Winters, Founded Empire Laboratories, uh, which he worked for in from sixty uh, from nineteen sixty to nineteen sixty two during the summers, and so basically this was a Canadian company that originally just uh, repackaged and resold bulk American ge- uh, generic drugs, right. but they set up their first manufacturing plant in nineteen sixty two, and so uh, according to uh, Barry Sherman, they had about a million dollars. Uh, uh, in sales per year in 1965. Um, and then at the end of 65 in November, his uncle Lou Winters dies, I believe of an aneurysm. And then his uh, his uncle's wife dies a few weeks later. And so they leave behind four children. It was four, right? There's yeah. four, yeah. Uh, four children, his cousins, who are all too young to take over the business. Um, and the most notable, who we'll talk more about later, is Carrie Winter. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't find the names of the other three cousins, but uh, essentially after uh, they become orphaned, two of them end up becoming drug addicts to crack cocaine and heroin, mm. and the other two, uh, there's not much more information I could find about them. Uh, they became drug addicts to the generic version of Paxil <laughs> for some reason. Um, but yeah, so he, uh, he graduates MIT, then he returns to Toronto, January, uh, 1967. And so these, uh, kids, uh, that, um, his uncle and, uh, his uncle's widow left behind or his uncle is the widow died. Um, excuse me. What's the word I'm looking for? His dead aunt and uncle, I guess. His deceased yes his deceased aunt and uncle left four kids behind who were too young to administer the the business so a uh, trust is set up to administer the business along with two attorneys and so what um barry does barry sherman is he convinces the attorneys to lobby the trust to sell him the company right and so uh uh, in uh, as we mentioned in 1965, it had about a million sales per year. 1967, uh, September 1967, he's able to lobby the um, trust to sell it to him for about two hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars, and uh, he gets this money from his business partner Joel Ulster's dad gave one hundred and fifty k. And according to him, his mom took out a loan for 100K based on her assets of 100K. Friends and family trust. LLC. Yes, exactly. Um, but so where the kind of uh, uh, dispute comes in is you were saying, Yogi, that there was some sort of agreement with the cousins that they would get 20% of it. Yeah, so uh, the uncle that we just mentioned, in his will, I believe, mm-hmm. it was said that Five percent of the company would go to each one of his sons, or each one of the kids. I believe they're all right. sons, and so twenty percent of Empire rightfully belonged to Carrie Winter and his three other brothers. Um, this was not known to Carrie Winter 
basically 5% of the company was supposed to go to each one of the kids, uh, Carrie Winter and his brothers, and Barry Sherman uh, fucked them over out of that, and they didn't know about this until 2007, which is when a lawsuit occurred between the cousins and Barry Sherman. But before that, all of this happened. Right. So um, in 1967, September, he buys the company again for 250000 from the trust and the with the advice and consent of the two attorneys who are supposed to be looking out for these four underage children. Right. Um, but so in 67, uh, he's really kind of the beneficiary of a string of good luck, which is that um, uh, a couple different laws pass in Canada, which I'll just kind of go through briefly. But uh, a Pharmacy Act or an amendment to the Pharmacy Act passed in 1968, again, a year after he buys this thing, which basically allows doctors to um, to um, uh, prescribe generics instead of brand names. Mm -hmm. Before Mm -hmm. then, it was like you had to do brand names. But this act in 1968 sets up a board called uh, PARCOST, P-A-R-COST, that kind of oversees the generic market in Canada and gives a list of approved generics that you can prescribe instead of brand names. So this is a big boost to the generic pharma industry, which, of course, he now owns one. And then the even bigger thing comes in 1969 under Pierre Trudeau's government. They passed what's called Bill C-102. And just quoting from unionretiree.ca, Bill C-102 in 1969 amended the Patient Act to allow compulsory licensing as of right on the payment of a royalty to the patent holder. The previous period that you would hold a patent in Canada had been 17 years. So essentially, Canada had the same system as the U.S., where a patent holder would have exclusive rights to a drug for, say, 17 years. But then they did this Bill C-109, which says, actually, anyone can just get a patented drug by paying a royalty. Um, And then uh, just quoting from that same website, from that period until 1987 when the Patent Act was amended, uh, Canada enjoyed the lowest drug prices in the world. And then drug prices went up in Canada for some various reasons that we might have time to talk about. But the point is essentially uh, a couple different, um, you know, in my mind, good laws were passed in Canada uh, to try and reduce the the cost of drugs prescription drugs and such but he was happened to be owning a prescription drug company and this is how he was able to build his 3.2 billion dollar fortune by uh being in the right place at the right time when the right laws were passed um and so again from his biography he claims about two million in sales a year by 1972 he sells this company uh for he says just under two million in uh, 1973 to icn canada and then he puts the profits back into setting up Apotex uh, in 1973-74. And later on, this is why the court case between Kerry uh, Winter and Barry Sherman eventually gets uh, thrown out because the courts claim that uh, it was an empire that Barry Sherman built up, but Apotex. And so that's why it doesn't fucking matter. Right. And so the cousins, uh, like as I mentioned, they there's a lot of like, notations in this uh, little memoir where it says, you know, this isn't true or whatever, or this is a lie. And I think, like, the biggest lie is at the end of Chapter 5 where he says, quote, a lot more to come. (laughs) (laughs) Which, uh, uh, but anyway, so yeah. That's great. That's like when a show series ends and it says to be continued. That was right before the note that just says, hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But so I believe it was uh, 1996 the cousins sue him for the first time, or it might have been later in the 2000s. But 
the case was essentially thrown out in 2017 shortly before he died hmm. and then the cousins were planning to appeal and then he was murdered right so again the cousins are like we'll talk about this a little bit they're certainly suspects um, yeah, so there's this uh, Canadian television show called The uh, Fifth Estate that uh, did a full um, look at this, uh, you know, this this murder. And um, during this program, Carrie Winter um, did a a lie detector test, mm. and it was like a two or three hour thing, and uh, failed it a whole bunch. <laughs> Um, and it's very funny because all of the uh, news reports on this program are like, hey, why did that guy talk to you again after he had failed the lie detector test? Like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Um, but Carrie Winner uh, said a lot of outlandish stuff in that show. Like, right. at one point during, so it's after the lie detector test and they, they meet with Carrie Winner one last time at this coffee shop. And they basically ask him again, like, hey, Carrie, did you kill your cousin? And Carrie Winner goes, oh, no, 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 no. I talked about it vividly. I, I mean, I, I said often, like, if I were to do it, I would go to Apotex, show up in the parking lot, cut his head off, neck, you know, neck to neck, and then throw his head and roll it down and then just wait for the cops. And uh, we'll put that clip in right here. And he confessed to us he had indeed fantasized about killing Barry Sherman. Like I would talk about killing Barry. And it was very graphic. The way I was going to do it wouldn't have been belts. It was going to be in the Apotex parking lot. That was my vision, always, that he'd come out of the building in Apotex and I'd be hiding behind a car and I'd just decapitate him. I wanted to roll his head down the parking lot and I'd just sit there waiting for the police. Great. It was interesting that uh, when they were interviewing him, he was playing Hitman Blood Money. <laughs> like, if you could just uh, stop... Uh, playing that game and answer our questions about the murder. <laughs> yeah, he kept uh, licking his lips and going, sorry, I have a little bit of honey left on my... <laughs> Just kept saying Clarice a whole bunch. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, the, that, that episode of The Fifth Estate is very good at showing uh, what happened and how not only the cousins were suspect, but that... Barry Sherman was a part of, like Sean mentioned, a hun- over a hundred lawsuits, and so, you know, over almost. I think I read there was a thousand. He's up some party in a thousand cases in that's Canadian fucking right. that's, legal system. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, quoting again from the Star, different article, but uh, uh, according to Amir Adaran, who's a, a professor at University of Ottawa, mm-hmm. he said, "quote I think he was he Barry." I think he was probably the most active litigant in any industry in Canada. Um, so basically, like, uh, and, and then uh, Adoran kind of goes on to say that's how they spin it. Uh, always, he was always in court fighting for Canadians to get cheaper drugs because the majority of his lawsuits were essentially against brand name pharmaceuticals, right. whether they be in the United States or wherever. So he always spins it as like um, he was trying to like sue to get, uh, you know, access to cheaper drugs for Canadians. But of course, you know, his bottom line interest is a, a little uh, different there where it's like, um, uh, you know, even though generics are like cheaper than brand names, uh, according to uh, Adoran, he did a study 
which basically said Canada, Canadians pay about twice, almost twice as much as people in Germany and uh, the United Kingdom do for generics because they have kind of like a set system where these various generics are set at prices about eight, all about 18% of the brand name version, which of course is like heavily distorted by the prices of the brand name version. And it's not like reflective of um, the competitive systems uh, that are used uh, or the negotiation, importantly, that's used in uh, the United Kingdom, Germany. Yeah, for our U.S. listeners, you're going to have to like <laughs> dis- dispense with everything you know about drug prices <laughs> and realize that Canadians, although they have it insanely good compared to us here in the U.S., um, there's still a lot to complain about. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, generic prices in Canada have only gone up albeit creepingly up I mean, for years. Yeah, yeah so like thanks to the, these legal if cases. If you're in the US, those drugs you pay about two thousand dollars for, uh, they pay about thirty dollars in Canada. <laughs> but they're upset that they pay fifteen dollars in the United Kingdom. <laughs> and uh, it is outrageous. Yeah, so the the, the completely socialized syst- socialized medicine system in the UK is just living it up those compared to us Canadians. Brits. Oh, and this kind of gets into, and again, well, I think at the end we'll just summarize all our theories on who might have killed him, but uh, because he was suing all these branded drug companies, again, these are multi-billion dollar companies, right. the, that is one theory for who killed the guy is, again, it sounds like these were professional hitmen or women. We don't want we, to... Thank you, Sean. You know, wow. Uh, wow, Stephen, the round of applause for Sean being so progressive <laughs> to think maybe a guy didn't murder this couple. Maybe it was some women murderers, you know? <laughs> they were uh, they were uh, uh, strangled with I'm with her hair ties. <laughs> there is a Hillary Clinton tie-in we'll do at the end of this episode. Um, but, uh, oh yeah, so uh, uh, he gives, uh, Barry Sherman actually speculated on his own death in a 2001 interview. Um he said, quote, the branded drug companies hate us. They have private investigators on us all the time. The thought once came to my mind. Why didn't they just hire someone to knock me off? And uh, maybe somebody at, like one of the branded drug companies read that and were like, we never fucking thought of that. <laughs> it- genius gave us a great idea for ending this problem. Another thing in the fifth estate that his cousin uh, Carrie Winter says is that uh, at one point, Barry asked me, hey, would you whack my wife off for me? Right. And I was like, Barry, you want me to kill your wife? And Barry said, hm, not you, but I know you can arrange that. And we'll uh, input that audio right here. He says despite police ruling that the Sherman deaths were a double homicide, there's a decades-old reason why he believes Barry Sherman killed his wife. He maintains Sherman had tried to do it before. And another amazing claim, Carrie said Barry had asked him to help. And there was a time in his office that he turned to me and he said, Carrie, I want you to do me a favor. And I said, what's that, Barry? He said, I want you to whack my wife. And I said, come on, Barry. You want me to kill your wife? He goes, I didn't say you. You know some people. Could you arrange that for me? And I said, you're serious. You're asking me to arrange whacking your wife. And he said, yeah, I hate her. And I said, Barry, I'll go ahead and do that. And I did. I planned it and I set it up. Did you think <laughs> perhaps I should warn Honey? Perhaps I no, should I hated call her too. the police? No, I didn't like Honey. But I mean, like, what's crazy about that is like, but he did fail a lie detector on that. Yeah, he did. Well, yes. which are scientific and completely valid. Yes. Right, 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 right. 
Um, the the most recent article I just looked at said that uh, he might try and plead like mental instability for one of the court cases, so he can't represent himself or something. I think uh, the cousin. Dude? Yeah, there's a lot of nonsense. for which which court case. I mean, the, like, so yeah. I think because they're appealing on um, Barry Sherman's cousin to undergo disability assessment as billion dollar appeal continues. Uh, may require a litigation guardian to oversee his part of the case uh, in the the two affidavits that would shed light on comments about Winter's mental states are sealed from public view. The Sherman family's lawyer want them unsealed. I don't know, man. Basically, everyone's fucking money hungry in this family, and they all kind of yeah, suck. I like, to me, Carrie, Carrie Winter came off as, like, he just wants to be in the media's eye yeah. more than yeah. anything. And he's willing to basically, like, publish his If I Did It. The affidavits were prepared by Julia Winter, Carrie's sisters-in-law who lives in Western Canada, and as the widow of Sherman cousin Dana Winter, Julia, Carrie, and two of the other cousins of Barry Sherman, Jeffrey and Paul Barkin, have for years been involved in litigation over the billionaire's company. A case now before the Ontario Court of Appeal and Justice Catherine Van Rensburg. Carrie Winter is unable to self-represent or instruct counsel. Appreciate the reasonably foreseeable consequences of his decisions and the issues which are relevant to this proceedings and is at serious risk of relapse because of his mental disability. All right, right. I see what's going on now. Right, right, right. His other cousins are trying to push Carrie out to make it so that they don't lose the court case. This is, oh, the ongoing court yes, case. Yes, the ongoing court case to, to appeal. To get the uh, stake. To get the stake of their company that they right. are. They do Thrilled. rightfully deserve, if you ask right, me. Right, because yeah, their father left them this 20% share, the yes. four kids, and then um, Barry Sherman uh, screwed them out of it, A, yeah. but B, like uh, two of the four, as you mentioned, had drug problems, drug right. addictions, and then he kind of like provided them financial assistance to kind of like string them along. Well, so that was what's, the, and they talk about this in the Fifth Estate, but basically Barry Sherman helped Carrie and his other cousin uh, out of uh, drug addiction and into sobriety and did everything from supporting their business ventures to, you know, affording them houses and cars and stuff. Mm-hmm. However, Carrie in the interview does at one point say, like, yes, it seems like he was just giving me money because he's a nice dude. But in reality, I was under his thumb. It was more a move of, like, mm, I'm giving you this money, but if you wrong me, then if I can, I'm going to ask for this shit back, basically. Right. Because he said that uh, he was trying to start a construction business and it wasn't profitable. And basically, he was like, I was losing money always. So, like, this wasn't this wasn't him being like, hey, here's more money because you're doing good. It was more like, hey, here's more money. Don't, you know, don't bother me. Right. Well, and it's interesting because, again, like, these four kids had their both of their parents die when they were very young. And they should have had 20% stake to what was essentially a gold mine, which right. was a generic drug manufacturer right around the time Canada passed all these laws that vastly increased the profitability of generic drug manufacturers. So it's like, you know, it's not surprising that two of them had, you know, serious drug problems or mental problems or whatever, you know, it's, Which, it's a traumatic event. And then you got fucked out of all this money that you should have had. I think you could argue Barry Sherman might have had a hand in. I, I mean, like this guy literally makes drugs mm-hmm. like you're telling me he wasn't a part of his cousins becoming addicted to drugs. At one point when people asked because he didn't have contact with his cousins during this period where they became drug addicts and they asked uh, Barry Sherman uh, hey, like, dude, why didn't you like see your cousins? And this is a quote from he's me. like, I'm gonna see them on the night of December 15, 2017. <laughs> no, no, he goes, uh, I, I see those cousins. There's some cousins I haven't seen in decades, and we'll put that audio in here as well. I didn't see them. There was no, there was no need or no point. I have all cousins all over the world. I don't go see them. 
I have lots of cousins I haven't seen in decades. Um, but like that's the epitome of this guy. He is money hungry, doesn't believe in any sort of faith, and honestly doesn't care about anything but himself or money. Mm-hmm. And uh, just one more uh, interesting story about his litigious nature. Because again, we mentioned he had more than 100 lawsuits going at once, possibly thousands working their way through the courts. Um one of those lawsuits was, um, again, quoting from the star here, when uh, Barry and Honey Sherman bought their North York property in 1985, they planned to spend $2.3 million to build and develop their dream home. This was, of course, the home they were eventually murdered in. Hmm. Um, but they noticed problems with the home within months of moving, and in 1991, Barry described it as, quote, a disaster. Um, they filed uh, multiple lawsuits against the house's designers and builders and wound up recouping $2 million of the contracted wow. amount to construct the home, according to a 2006 judgment. So basically they spent $2.3 million and got at least $2 million back yeah. for this uh, home they later went on to sell for $6.9 so million. Yeah, it's extremely petty. <laughs> and again, when you're when you're worth over a billion, I mean, right? You know, it's like, right, and it's like you know they don't need the money, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things that is apparent about Barry Sherman. He's not arguing for for like personal gain in like a, I need this. It's he doesn't give a fuck. It really was a good idea for them to uh, sue all of the people who know the layout of their property. <laughs> <laughs> like, geez, maybe one of the home designers did it. I uh, think it could be them. There are suspects. It was the interior designer. <laughs> the interior decorator. Yeah. Like, you didn't appreciate my uh, 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 modern style. And you I thought mean, it, if a company's yeah. making houses that are $2.3 million, mm-hmm. they probably can take a $2 million hit. But even the lawyer fees on top of that, I think that that would burn them enough to where they'd be like, fuck, we're going to murder these motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I just kind of want to go through uh, Apotex, the company he founded in 73, and then officially, or he started founding in 73, officially incorporated 74. Um, so as of today, it has more than 10,000 employees. 2017, Forbes says it has 1.5 billion global revenue. Uh, we've mentioned it had rights to like the generics, uh, generic for Paxil, a mm-hmm. few other big sellers. Um, and there are just like a couple different scandals that it's been wrapped up in that we should cover pretty quick. Um, in 2013, uh, 45 women sued them in a class action for $800 million, uh, because they claimed uh, that, this is from FiercePharma.com, uh, they claimed that a packaging uh, foul-up by Apotex led them to take placebos instead of active birth control pills. What? Four, four <laughs> of the 45 women had to have abortions because of this. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... Um, did they win that lawsuit the, the for the women? Uh, so as of 2015, it's still working its way through the courts. And actually in 2017, another lawsuit was filed against Apotex over this birth control thing. So there's at least two lawsuits still working their way through the courts. And uh, we'll update on the Tumblr. But the point is... Um, oh, and so if I could just quote from Fierce Pharma here. Um, basically, uh, there was a recall by Health Canada, or there was an alert issued... Um, for these Allegiant Alicena 28 birth control pills after it was discovered that some packages contained 14 active contraceptive pills and 14 placebos instead of the typical 21 active and 7 placebos that birth control pills are supposed to contain. So basically they sent double the number of placebos they could and 
at least four women had to have abortions over this, but probably countless more. There are placebos in birth control? That's a real thing? Yeah, I guess so. You know, How is that legal? How What? Uh, maybe I'm just learning things, and forgive me, listener, if you knew that there were placebos in birth control, but when I buy Advil, it doesn't say, you know, 40 tablets real, 40 tablets fake. Contains like, just 20% <laughs> placebo. <laughs> yeah, like, what? Like, what? Oh, nice. This okay. isn't like fucking Tropicana, like contains 2% juice. This is fucking medicine. It is great that I didn't know that e- either, and both Yogi and I are in relationships. <laughs> so we've really just been kind of oh, trusting fuck. science on this one. Uh, oh, and yeah, the health minister at the time. Uh, Not if- dog, I don't use birth control. I, should th- I hit that shit raw, son. <laughs> Yeah, 100% placebo. <laughs> 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 That's great. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, the health minister at the time in Canada uh, ordered an investigation into why it took five days after the mistake was found before Apotex alerted the public. Oh, wow. That uh, they'd been giving them placebos. Um, but so, yeah, so that lawsuit's ongoing. Um, uh, as of 2015, a court has said it's allowed to proceed, and then we'll see about damages and these kinds of things. But they are, 45 women are seeking $800 million, um, Canadian. Um, and then, so, the other interesting story that uh, Apotex has been involved in is a drug called mefloquine, which is a, um, um, whatchamacallit, malaria. malaria. Yeah, malaria drug. And so... In 2013, uh, the U.S. Army uh, restricted uh, uh, mefloquine um, after the FDA warned of, quote, possible permanent side effects such as dizziness, insomnia, seizures, as well as psychiatric reactions, including paranoia, depression, and anxiety. Um, So that was in 2013. But a weird thing happened where Canada didn't restrict the drug. And sorry, that uh, quote that I got was... um, Fuck, I don't know. I believe that was from the star. Yes, sorry. That that quote that I got was from the star. But so a weird thing happened where the U.S. Army restricted in 2013. The United Kingdom did the same thing around the same time. But Canada didn't actually restrict use of the drug until January 2017. Um, And then according to Stuart McCarthy, no relation on Twitter, Apotex Apotex was the Canadian, I'm quoting from him, Apotex was the Canadian manufacturer of mefloquine and a Justin Trudeau, financial contributor um and people wonder I'm sorry it's trudeau <laughs> justin trudeau <laughs> jesus christ uh but basically um they were uh, a major contributor to the the liberal party in canada and of course to justin trudeau trudeau's government and they were the supplier of the canadian military for this anti-malaria drug and somehow it took four years from the time that the u.s said we're not going to use this anymore because people are having psychotic episodes there have been suicides uh, another uh, uh john uh, dow on twitter um said that a spike of suicides uh was reported in 03 uh, from Iraq war veterans taking this drug, but then when it was discontinued in Iraq in 2004, army suicides kind of abate it, which again, you know, causation correlation, but there has been a lot of uh, anecdotal reports, particularly by veterans. There are a lot of veterans group who have been affected by this who said that, you know, this drug causes depression, psycho- psychosis, this kind of thing. 
And like you were saying, yeah, that- like uh, there's this uh, French musician Stromae. He's Belgian, but he uh, sings in French. Who uh, had uh, major issues after taking this mal- not this but a malaria medication mm-hmm. and had uh, panic attacks and suicidal thoughts and anxiety and so on and so forth. But I also took uh, malaria medication growing up. And during my worst bouts of uh, depression and suicidal thoughts were among the times I took malaria medication. And when I learned about the uh, Stromae uh, case, uh, if you don't know Stromae, he has the song All Ours On Downs. Well, I'll play this in the background of me speaking right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it It's scary because it kind of makes sense because the symptoms of, you know, suicidal thoughts, panic attacks and like depression uh, they're very similar to how you kind of feel if you do start experiencing malaria in that outside of the chills and fevers, you do kind of feel like killing yourself. And so... Um, but but maybe that's because you took the brand name instead of the generic. <laughs> yeah, that could be true. Um, but I mean, like, you know, the, the reality is, is that malaria medication is often made by people in laboratories for people in third world countries. And... They don't care as much about these side effects because, you know, who gives a fuck if people who are experiencing malaria might be killing themselves or have panic attacks as long as they don't have malaria is, I think, the win-win in that situation. But but, um, but you know who we do care about is the 15,600 Canadian soldiers who were given this drug between 2001 and 2012, uh, according to the Star. Yeah, and I mean, I, those, those people, I bet uh, a slew of them dealt with a whole bunch of problems. Yeah, there was like another thing that I got from the star, which was essentially like, um, and I don't know if Barry Sherman is actually tied to this one, but uh, essentially in Somalia, some Canadian peacekeepers were deployed and they beat to death a Somalian kid who like trespassed on the property. Oh my God. And they later said that this was partly a result of a psychotic episode from this drug. Um, Wow. Yeah, so it's like, Again, there have been a lot of reports of depression, suicide, psychosis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The thing is, is that these are drug manufacturers who are using their power of, hey, we just make the drugs to inflict pain in the world mm-hmm. and be, you know, mask it with, no, no, I'm just a good guy trying to sell cheaper drugs to people, and it's like, mm, you're actually allowing people to kill one another and to not take any claim for it. It was a really good strategy this guy had of uh, poisoning the Canadian Special Forces (laughs) (laughs) before he was mysteriously murdered by professionals who seemed to know what they were doing. Um, But yeah, no, like, uh, and then just like kind of quick end to that anecdote is that, um, uh, as we mentioned, this was being used by the Canadian military um, and... uh, uh, Apotex in 2017 sued uh, the uh, Canadian lobbying commissioner who was essentially looking into and trying to get documents related to um, an August 2015 fundraiser um, that Barry Sherman hosted, which uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, showed up at, as well as another liberal MP. Uh, they both showed up at, this was during an election, and uh, Barry Sherman hosted a $1,500 an event. Tickets for the event were $1,500 each, and they hosted this event at their home for uh, the Prime Minister of Canada. And, of course, hey, maybe when you fundraise a shitload of money for the Prime Minister of Canada, he uh, tweets condolences when you're murdered in your home, but he also gives you, uh, you know, maybe uh, beneficial access to government contracts, and you can supply your uh, depression (laughs) psychosis pills to the army and the military, you know, four years after the U.S. bans it. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, that's so basically that. And then like the, the one last uh, thing I want to get into on Apotex is um, this uh, lady, the doctor named Nancy Oliveri. Um, she was doing uh, some studies. Uh, it, this is from uh, ncbi.gov. Uh, um, she was doing uh, uh, studies for a drug to treat a medical condition called thalassemia. I know I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, like I pronounce everything on this show, but it's a blood disorder involving less than normal amounts of um, oxygen-carrying protein in uh, blood cells. Uh, they were doing, she was doing studies on this drug, uh, deferiprone, deferiprone. Hmm. Uh, starting in 1989, in 93, Apotex uh, began to provide financial support for trials. And again, this is from NCBI. Duck of. Uh, by March 1996, she believed that her data showed that participants in these uh, drug trials had iron concentrations in the liver that were above clinically desirable levels. Um, Apotex, that was now funding her studies, disagreed with her interpretation and terminated these uh, trials at 72 hours after she attempted to amend consent forms to warn patients of alleged reduced efficacy. Um, and then the co- the company also invoked a non-disclosure cause in it, clause in its contract to prevent her from publishing her results. And then when in 1998 she published her results, uh, Apotex sued her for $20 million. Wow. Um, so, yes, you know, a lit- litigious guy who, of course, portrays that as, you know, all fighting for, like, the Canadian uh, uh, citizen to get lower drug prices, but who also, like, sues doctors who try to, like, warn people that his drugs are killing people. So, all the chips are in. We got a good chunk of the information out to you listeners. Mm-hmm. McCarthy, Jeffries, who do you think killed Sherman and Honey? The Rothschilds. <laughs> oh. One other fun thing I forgot is, like, in the months leading up to his death, he was apparently working on a um, a marijuana pill, like a generic marijuana cannabis delivery pill, you know. And so, like, this was kind of speculated about because, again, this is billion-some-dollar disruption to both the actual marijuana industry but also, like, the opioid pharmaceutical industry where if you can, you know, take uh, essentially cannabis THC pills – um, in an effective manner, then, you know, you don't have to take these opiate uh, prescriptions, but you also don't have to smoke or ingest marijuana in other ways. Right. So, you know, uh, what I'm saying is Purdue Pharma killed him. <laughs> so, all the chips are in. Ladies and gentlemen, audience abroad and the people in the room right now, who do you think killed Barry Sherman and his wife, Honey Sherman? Jeffries, what do you think? Well, reading through, like, first his memoirs and then the actual... Uh, murder investigation is like wow this is some Oleg Deripaska <laughs> level shit going on here yeah, oh yeah, with uh, p- potential mob connections maybe mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I was like wait what was Oleg's wife doing those years <laughs> <laughs> and so I got to thinking and maybe Paulina oh yeah actually took another international flight London to yeah, Canada absconded to Canada with um <laughs> Oleg's rival. Yeah, Roman Abramovich. Yeah. It is. It and is. she needed generic medication. <laughs> she need, Actually, she needed branded medication. Yes, right. Because she perversely likes paying more for her drugs. Well, it all. is a status symbol. It is. That is true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has you can put fucking spinners on the box or something. <laughs> and you have to really show people it. Um, so, yeah, I think either 
either here's what I think went down. Either Polina had a hand in the death, or it was a murder suicide. Mm-hmm. But then hours later, the real estate agent who felt jilted came by. And then he was going to kill them, but he saw that they're already dead. But he still wanted a piece of the action. Sure, sure. So yeah. he he tied them up with the be- the belts. Right, right, right. <laughs> that weren't actually used to kill. Them. No. It is difficult to uh, speculate who might have killed him because the suspects include anybody who has ever read his memoir. Um, That's why I didn't read it. <laughs> I kept, made sure to keep off that list. I have a theory. Yeah. And I know that this will be ill-received by everyone. I think his Hillary kids Clinton. did it. No, no, no. Not Hillary Clinton. Not this time. But I bet it's somewhere in her email she said she did do it. But uh, I maybe, think... Maybe he was warm-up for Anthony Bourdain and <laughs> oh Kate Spade. Oh, my God. They were oh, like, wow. you know, let's, do, let's get the strangulation death down right and see if we can uh, start knocking off people who are going to expose the Clinton Foundation. I think it was potentially the two daughters of Barry Sherman and mm. Honey Sherman. And the only reason I have to think this is because at the funeral... If you're an attorney, this, this podcast is satire. <laughs> <laughs> at the funeral... The two daughters wore sunglasses on stage. Mm. And it's like, if your parents are murdered, you don't wear f- sunglasses indoors. I know it might be like a, oh, but it's a funeral. I don't want people to see me cry. By the way, your brother is ter- crying during the eulogy and your youngest sister is bawling on stage. You can cry for five minutes. Fuck vanity. You need sunglasses on right now? Ray-Bans? You need Ray-Bans on right now? <laughs> I'm actually of the belief that Barry and Honey Sherman were crisis actors, and this was all <laughs> an attempt to restrict uh, rope laws in Canada and uh, give uh, God-fearing Canadians to take away yes. their ropes. Generic rope laws, <laughs> not these brand-name ropes. Against the, the godless atheists. Uh, oh, and I did want to just read one quote uh, from uh, Barry Sherman's memoir, uh, just so you can get a, a bit of an idea of the guy who was... Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to, you know, the no God, no free will, life has no meaning or purpose stuff, uh, uh, just uh, this quote here. He said, Voltaire said, noblesse oblige, uh, which, you know, loosely translates to, with power and wealth comes obligation. I do not see any rational basis for that pronouncement. There is no objective basis to hold that anyone is obligated to do anything not required by law. <laughs> Each person can be expected only to pursue personal happiness in whatever manner he sees best from his own perspective. Uh, you know. That was actually read to Tesla employees last <laughs> year. <laughs> before, right before the production uh, of the yes, right. We got to get like the Tesla employees who were like thanking Elon Musk for firing I them to like fucking crazy to listen to our episode. <laughs> it's not they, too late. They actually read Sherman's his fucking manifesto, memoirs, his, mem- his memoirs for uh, all forty-seven pages of it. Each person can be expected only to pursue personal happiness in whatever manner he sees best from his own perspective, uh, which was also a quote from the man who murdered Barry Sherman and his <laughs> wife. I just uh, feel like we shouldn't judge him off his unfinished memoir, because it's like, I get that these are words he wrote, but also he knew that they weren't good enough to release. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. He also acknowledged, eh, this ain't good enough for the world's eyes. I like that story of one of his... One of his like earliest childhood memories when he's going to visit his dad's uh, like the zipper, zipper factory, his zipper yeah. factory. So he's like, take your kid to work day or something, mm-hmm. and he gives his he gives his son the job of boxing up the zippers, 
And, and he said, now, son, never turn off the security cameras over your pool. <laughs> if the time should he just come. Couldn't, he didn't listen. He didn't listen. <laughs> Too focused on the box and the zips. <laughs> so he's boxing up the zippers, and he's like, I'm going to fucking rock this so that my dad realizes my potential. Yeah. And he boxes them up so fast, but his dad's like, wow. Okay, let me count them up to make sure you did this shit right. Yeah, and then and then he was mad about that. He was like, I can't believe my dad thought that was wrong in my and He's like, and that's why I decided to destroy China <laughs> Cana- Canadian generic brand law. Right, right, right. This guy was a fucking tool. I'm not yeah. happy he's dead, but I'm not sad he's dead. I'm just like shocked there. It's like again, this guy, according to his own memoir, graduated first in his class, MIT, and then he just didn't think that like Oh, if I'm going to have a thousand lawsuits going at once while I'm a billionaire, maybe I should hire security. Nah, I, maybe I should like pay somebody to make sure I don't too, get though. murdered in my home. Because like he drove a '99 Mustang, and it's like rich people, like billionaire level rich people that drive shitty cars, they know their fate is sealed. Because it's like they could spend half of their wealth protecting themselves in mm-hmm. quotes, but they know that fucking another dude with more money can fucking pop them at any moment. The security is knowing that there's no security, I think. Yeah, I mean I know his I know his memoirs might be deemed as like unfinished and <laughs> shitty or whatever, but uh No, he's gonna uh, finish them. <laughs> it's uh, is <laughs> one of the cousins will finish it. A thousand monkeys <laughs> on generic Apotex drugs could one day write the The rest the, of it is written by an Apotex uh, <laughs> a corporate attorney. Yeah, yeah. The killer, absolving the killer writes the foreword anonymously. <laughs> when I killed Barry, I never thought I would come to appreciate his writings the way that I have. Um, oh, do you guys, before we end, do you want to hear a little bit more about this home that he was murdered in? Yeah, sure. Uh, according to the Star, the home has indoor and outdoor pools and oh. hot tubs, a tennis court, and underground parking for six cars with a heated ramp. Uh, the five plus one bedroom, nine bath home is two stories and features hardwood floors and a balcony. The lower floor is anchored by a massive garage bordered by the indoor pool, a sauna and changing room. Uh, neighboring rooms, including a sitting room, include a sitting room, a recreation room and hobby room and a nanny's room with a kitchen and bathroom. And uh, if you sound interested, that house is now on the market. <laughs> <laughs> and they will probably give you a discount from the $6.9 million asking price. I just love that there's a room called the sitting room. Mm-hmm. Like, not like we can put chairs in any room of this fucking house, but, well, this is the one we choose to sit in. Specialized. Yeah. Specialized sitting in I guess, these. I guess now they call it the getting strangled in oh room. Oh, my God. All right, I think that's everything. <laughs> McCarthy, you good? Uh, yeah, Jeffries, how you feeling about this? We missed? I oh, think I think we're wrapped. Oh, we should we should mention just uh, alive billionaires. They did leave behind four children. That's we right. mentioned uh, Lauren, Jonathan, Alexandra, and Kaylee. Kaylin um, are now inheritors of this billion dollar fortune. And you know, my personal specula- speculation is that one of these brand name drug people that he crossed, I think, had him killed. Because we've mentioned this sounded like a professional hit. They clearly knew the house went on the market early December, and they saw their opportunity. Someone had a grudge. They were like, okay, we're going to do this here. And then, you know, the fact that the initial police investigation was boggled leads me to conclude, or 
it's reasonable to assume that maybe somebody was paid off in the police force or maybe, you know, they just counted on people not doing their jobs right. But, hey, we'll see if we find out as of uh, June 2018. This is a cold case, double murder. We will find out. uh, uh, Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Who is actually responsible for the deaths of Barry and Honey Sherman? But you know what, listener? If you have theories, please share them with us. Please send us a comment. We'll, We'll put it on our Tumblr and... Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please uh, subscribe and uh, rate us however you think many stars we deserve. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We are streamed in over 40 countries and all across the United States. Uh, it's been a great pleasure to have you listening to us. My name is Yogi Pollywall. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. Stephen Jeffries. And uh, Barry's Killers, if you're listening, good job. <laughs> <laughs> and behind it all, the dark corners of the Sherman family saga. A complex tale of betrayal and broken relationships that continue to this day. The whole relationship was based on lies and deception. Carrie Winter is Barry Sherman's first cousin. As police investigators compile the names of those who could have wanted the Shermans dead, even Winter himself admits he might be on that list. And anybody who knows Barry Sherman will tell you that. Emotional, anxious, and angry. Carrie Winter leaves no doubt he felt deeply betrayed by Barry Sherman. And he wanted revenge. So I was heartbroken. I was betrayed. My cousin hurt me. And now I want to hurt you.